Hey, this is Rob, and that's Micaiah, and you are listening to You Forgot One. Today on You Forgot One, Kate Bush, Hounds of Love. Micaiah, this is an album you have been nominating season in and season out. I mean, for three years now, you have been saying this album needs to be on our list. With the lead single of this album, finally topping the charts for the very first time in 2022, thanks in large part to Stranger Things, it felt like now was the time to talk about it. Tell us what we need to know about Kate Bush. Kate Bush um, was pretty much a a pop star in Britain when she was a teenager because of her hit song, Withering Heights. Uh, It was a huge, huge single. And she was under the tutelage of, of, of David Gilmore from Pink Floyd, who kind of discovered her and kind of, you know, allowed her to make a record. Um, and then she made a couple albums pretty quickly after that and then started to produce them all by herself. And then by the time she was able to do that, she releases The Dreaming, which is a very odd album. Um, and then she follows that up. That comes out in 82 and then 1985, firmly in the middle of her career is at Hounds of Love, which is her poppiest album and also maybe her weirdest album. Um, it is both of those things and it's split pretty evenly between side one and side two of being the pop perfection and like the it's not avant-garde, um, but it is challenging um, because especially if you anticipate more of side one. Um, so you have to kind of adjust your expectations for what you're getting into. Um, unless you're a big fan of the dreaming and you're like, oh, finally, the stuff. Um, let's see. Um, so um, this record um, has never been on the Rolling Stone 500 um, until they did the 2020 list. It went from never being on to 68. Um, NME, however, which, of course, they're, they're English, uh, and their 2013 list had it at 48. Um, Pitchfork's best albums of the 80s, they have it at number four. Um, NPR a few years ago did a list of the best albums, you know, made by women. They also had it at number four. Um, so it's it's beloved. All of those lists are pre-Stranger Things, you know, so it's not like that she got the, the Stranger Things bump when those lists were made. Um, this just happens to be a anomaly in pop culture, certainly in her career, um, that a, a TV, a sci-fi TV show about, kids in like the midwest right um gives her the greatest boost to any of her songs since her first single you know so um she's she's called a recluse um she's not she's just a private person she's this beloved artist and musician who has no interest in being a celebrity um so she doesn't participate in that she doesn't really give interviews. She doesn't really go to parties or award shows. Um, I don't, she doesn't tour. She does. She did a series of shows almost 10 years ago now. I mean, that's just, so she's never even toured the United States. Um, obviously she never really toured England either. She didn't like it. Um, so she's not as big here, but in England, I mean, she is one of the great, you know, artists, the way we talk about Prince here. You know, you're talking about what a strange anomaly it is to see, you know, at least in the United States, this sudden kind of like bump that happens, you know, 40 years later because of essentially being featured in a television show. 
The only thing that it reminds me of is in 2000, a Volkswagen commercial used Nick Drake's Pink Moon. And within a month of the commercial coming out, Nick Drake had sold more albums, you know, years after his death Mm -hmm. as a result of that commercial featuring his music than he did at any point during his lifetime. And, and so it is, it is that interesting thing. Now, obviously um, she's still alive and potentially could still be, you know, could, could still be making more music. Um, But it is interesting, this kind of moment we're living in where Kate Bush is is really coming to the forefront and it's and it's more than just stranger things because like you said you know the the 2020 uh rolling stone list where she you know essentially jumped from not being on the list all the way up to number 68 like that happened before the show had ever come out and used her music mm-hmm. and and so it is an interesting thing that we're, we're seeing that there there really does to seem to be this moment where where people are beginning to recognize the importance of Kate Bush. And I'll be the first to admit, and our listeners will be familiar with this. I'm not one of them. You know, I'm, I'm a person who um, was never really a big Kate Bush fan, had not been exposed to her much. Um, And it's just been in the last few years that I've, that I've really been willing to listen to her in really because of the number of, a list that she showed up in. And of course, Makai, your great love for her is, has been an influence to, to listen. And I will tell you in the last few months of listening to this album, I have really fallen in love with side a of the album, this kind of really um, radio friendly pop album. It's interesting. I'm interested to hear what you have to say about side B and what our guest is going to say about side B. Tell us about our guest today. Well, you know, the listeners of You Forgot One, they know him, they love him. It's Brad Efford um, from Wigwag Mag and Film Fest, uh, his new podcast. He was here with us to talk about OK Computer and then came back in the bonus episodes to um, talk about Kid A. And he joined us again to have to help us decide between uh, When the Pawn and uh, fetch the bolt cutters from Fiona Apple. So he has been on a, a couple of heated episodes of If You Forgot One. So, yeah, so now he's back. And this is his favorite album. And this is his favorite album time. So I, we knew from the first time we talked to Brad that if we ever did Hounds of Love, right, Brad would be our guy. Because um, when, when we asked him what are your top five albums, he said, you know, number one is... How's of Love by Kate Bush. So, you know, we, we tucked that away. Um, and then when we announced, you know, on social media, the albums we were doing, he saw that How's of Love was on there and, and he responded on social media. And so I, you know, messaged him. I said, you ready to come back? And he said, yep. Um, and uh, also his birthday is um, soon, if not tomorrow or the next day. So uh, this is also our, our birthday gift to Brad. He gets to come on here again and gush about hounds of love great well i'm excited for it so listener we're going to take a quick break we're going to let you hear from uh, our sponsors anchor and mirror coffee roasters and then we'll be back with our friend brad effort i want to take a second and tell you a little bit about mirror coffee roasters 
Mirror Coffee Roasters are pursuing excellence from coffee, farm to cup. They're here to elevate your home coffee experience and help you to reflect what's good. Mirror Coffee Roasters are based in Bellingham, Washington, but they are bringing you the finest coffees from all around the world with sustainability as their first priority. Just three years old, Mirror Coffee Roasters are getting set to launch an entire new lineup of coffees this year. So check them out at mirrorcoffeeroasters.com. Listeners, uh, he has the privilege of being our very first guest for season three. We are so excited to have him back. He is entering the four timers club. So he is joining the ranks of Elizabeth Nelson and Tim Bracey and our friend, Michael Washburn, uh, who is a mutual friend of ours. Uh, you know him from his work compiling the RS 500, uh, wigwag mag and the podcast film fest film fest pod. Uh, he is Brad effort. Brad, we're so glad to have you back. Thanks for being back on. You forgot one. Wow. Thanks guys. I feel like I shoehorned my way into this episode by repeatedly telling you that this is my favorite album of all time. <laughs> well, it's I'm glad it worked. Yeah, it, it did. And it's funny because as soon as we put our list together in early December of last year and kind of knew what our season three was going to look like, Micaiah immediately went, well, we have to have Brad to talk about Hounds of Love because this is his favorite album. <laughs> the brand well, and it was strong. And it was great because when I, I posted like, oh, like on the, you know, the podcast's tour account, like oh here are the list of albums and brad was like hounds of love I, was just like, well, I guess i have to dm him now and invite him so he kind of invited himself on this one also but, i mean not be, not be the first time that yeah. I've done that. but that's actually uh, it, it works really well so of course our listeners will know that this is a drum that micaiah has been banging since the very first episode of the podcast mm -hmm. and i is still now I don't know that I would consider myself a Kate Bush fan, 
I think that I have finally come around on this album in maybe in large part because of the fact that the lead single from this album finally topped the charts, you know, 40 years after the album was released uh, in in the last year. And, And so there does feel like a moment for this album, which has, which has led me to listen to this album more than I had before. And I will say that in the last six months, I have listened to more Kate Bush than I have at any point in my life before that. And I am coming around on being a fan but this is going to be an episode where it's going to be two Kate Bush super fans in Rob. And so, whoa, oh my God. bear with me a second. That's the Kate Bush police coming for Rob. <laughs> <laughs> like the police heard him slam. I am Kate not a Bush. fan of Kate Bush. <laughs> whoop, 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 whoop. That should happen anytime somebody says, I don't really get it. About That's the, the army of dreamers coming to get him. <laughs> They're like coming straight for him. Um, friends, I'm sorry for that. Uh, we had um, a, a something tripped the uh, fire alarm in the... Mm-hmm. In the building that I'm in, oh so it, it turned. But we're we're good. Every everything's okay. But, um, anyways, uh, we know what tripped the alarm, Rob. Yeah, it it, it was. In 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 truthfully, I mean, look, I'm I'm recording this in my office in a church, and I had the audacity to say something as blasphemous uh, as <laughs> I'm not yeah. I'm not a huge Kate Bush fan. So, so let, let's do this. Let's do it this way. Let me kind of be the interviewer for this episode and just talk to the both of you about Kate Bush and, and what is it that I think maybe for me and for our listeners, what is it that we need to know about Kate Bush? So let's start here. What was your introduction to Kate Bush? Sure. I mean, I can just say that my introduction was Hounds of Love. Um, I feel like I've talked about this before, but when I was in high school, I worked at a record store and my education, like my musical education was just people who I worked with handing albums to me and just being, because for a year at the record store, I wasn't on the payroll and they, I just got paid and used CDs and they would be like, oh, you worked like four hours, take home like 12 cds or whatever it was just like take them whatever you want um and then they and like a my like best friend in high school was a year older than me and just was so involved in music history and culture and he was just like and you need this album and you need this album you need this album so hounds of love was just one of two thousand albums or whatever that were just handed off to me over two to three year period in high school and um it was an album that i listened to it and really, I think I probably had the experience that a lot of people have uh, is that loved side A, didn't really know what to do with side B. Um, and I think that's going to be the most interesting thing to talk about is because this is basically two different albums. It's basically two EPs that don't mm-hmm. really speak to each other. And that's kind of by design. Um, yeah. And so that was my introduction to Kate Bush was Towns of Love. And then eventually I just liked side a so much that i just kept listening to the whole album and liked side b and then i think after hounds of love i got the kick inside and like worked backwards or worked 
forwards or whatever it is. Um, and then Ariel comes out when I'm in high school. That album came out in 2005. Does that sound yeah. right? Yeah. So that album came out and um, that was an album that my friend who got me into Kate Bush, like we went to Borders the day it came out and bought it on CD. And he was like, this is unprecedented that that there's a new Kate Bush album. This is insane. And he was obsessed with it. And I was like, I don't really like how her voice sounds. Like for whatever it is, I was just like, I don't like this as much as Sounds of Love. And now Ariel is like my second favorite Kate Bush album. And it's like almost equivalent in some ways to Hound of Love. It's, mm-hmm. it's such like a similar album in a lot of ways. So like there was new, new Kate Bush music happening when I was getting really into her in high school. And I just kind of found her fascinating. And it wasn't really until maybe grad school. It was probably like seven or eight years later that for whatever reason, I just completely connected with Hounds of Love. And what's what what I think I'm going to, um, or what I'm so interested in talking about too with you, Rob, is just sh- what makes her so interesting and so hard, I think, to be like a diehard total fan of is that it's not like all her albums sound the same. And I, I have a theory, it's not really a theory, but I, I see her career as basically three different, like, or like four four different like eras of her career and her first three albums i don't really like or listen to very much the kick inside and lionheart and never forever they all kind of in terms of production and songwriting they all sound really really similar there are some excellent tracks on them i like those albums quite a bit i don't usually really play them and then the dreaming and hounds of love are her very like experimental albums that i think are incredible and then her next two albums are her very personal like um romantic albums and then she doesn't make music for 12 years and then she comes back with two new albums that are totally weird and like a totally different kind of music even so like uh, she's my favorite musical artist she's might be my favorite like artist in general i think she's brilliant and just fascinating as a person and i've kind of come to that over the past 10 to 15 years especially um but it doesn't mean that like every single thing about everything she's done i'm in love with there's there's definitely albums of hers that i'm like i never really like listen to this i don't i don't really like know it that well but the three or four albums of hers that i listen to constantly are like masterworks that i like study really really closely so she's just Mm -hmm. really interesting that's that's i don't really have an interesting story with kate bush other than I found her in high school and then just like listened to her a lot because I liked it. <laughs> Pretty standard. <laughs> I'm, I'm so I'm I'm really excited to talk more about this. This is the first time I've ever heard that Hounds of Love is basically put together as two EPs, and that makes a lot more sense because I like you. I'm a really big fan of the side A of this That's album. Yeah, and my like my dig against this album is I'm not a huge fan of side B. It is interesting because in this season of the podcast, we're talking about hounds of love in many ways um, as the kind of like caveat to one of Makai's favorite albums of the eighties. And then we're also talking about Joshua tree as the caveat to one of my favorite albums. And the, like my critique of hounds of love is that side a is so much better than side b but i also think that's micaiah's critique of 
Joshua Tree. Micaiah, we've heard from Brad. Micaiah, tell us how you got exposed to Kate Bush. How did you first get into her? It's even less interesting. Um, at my first office job, I rub, at my first office job, I had so much time to just sit at a laptop by myself. And so I used that time to go through the Rolling Stone 500, oh. every album that I hadn't heard before. And then when I ran out of that, I went to the NME 500. And I was pretty fascinated with what was on Rolling Stone versus what was on NME. And what's on NME, or at least on their 2013 issues, was, you know, Hounds of Love. And I was like, I don't even really know what this is, I don't think. And then, of course, you realize, like, oh, I heard this song in this movie or this show or whatever. And um, But then listening to Hounds of Love, you know, and when you listen to, like, 500 albums at a time and listening to like multiple a day not a lot sticks you just kind of listen through it and you can say that you have listened to it but then Hounds of Love I was like ooh that was really different and exceptional and quite good and then I went um, here in Lexington and this was only like five years ago um, so I'm still pretty relatively new uh, to the Kate Bush you know fan club but um I was essentially at what was like a flea market just a few months after I had heard Hounds of Love for the first time. And there was a original U S copy of Hounds of Love for like five bucks or something. Nice. Um, and you don't see those a lot anyway. Um, so the fact that it was at this, like what was essentially flea market was very exciting. Covers clean record is clean. I just listened to it again uh, before this and I was like, Oh great. So that's when it really started fascinated it's 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 interesting because when i when i listen to kate bush with 
my wife Molly, um, especially the the older stuff, you know, we'll be listening to like Wuthering Heights even, and she'll be like, "In this, you think this is good?" Yeah. Uh, because it's the the voice she just like can't really get past. Um, but I mean, she is, and one thing we haven't talked about yet about Kate is that she was pretty much like a child pop star. She was a child star. I mean, she was 18, right? When, uh, she did her first album, her first two albums. Yeah. She was 19 when it came out and Wuthering Heights came out. <clears throat> yeah. So she's recording so she was, it at like 17, 18. Yeah. She wrote very, a lot very, of the songs when she was like 13, 14, 15, um, just grew up in a musical family and they all played music and wrote poetry just like one of those people who just grew up in the right atmosphere for it. Mm-hmm. And, um, and crosses paths with David Gilmore from Pink Floyd. Right. Like has a family friend who knows David Gilmore. And then it just is like off to the races from there. But you're absolutely right that it's the kind of thing where like her first single was a number one hit in the UK and she's 19 years old and probably wrote it when she was like 15 or 16, apparently. Mm-hmm. And it, it what i love so much about her is that right out the gate she becomes hugely famous in her home country is on top of the pops like eight times in one year basically just like performing Mm -hmm. weathering heights over and over again and and doesn't really lose any sense of artistic integrity at Mm -hmm. all the Mm -hmm. only it's it's her first two albums that she makes and her second album lionheart she's basically like told that she has to put out a second album incredibly quickly to capitalize on on the kick inside she doesn't really want to she records those songs and releases it and after that she's like i'm gonna at least co-produce or produce all my stuff from now on and i'm gonna make Mm -hmm. a label of my own and i'm not gonna let anybody else control my art or my music from this point on and never forever she co-produces and then from that point on she does everything herself she builds her own studio she makes her own label and like I find her so endlessly inspiring as a person who just is unconcerned with the world at large and Mm -hmm. just has a creative spirit that she feels the impulse to create stuff out of it. And you can't really track where it's coming from other than her interests in like performance art and dance and outsider art and mime in Peter Gabriel. Like she's just interested in a collection of things that she's just like, I'm going to put all these together and make art. And I don't really care what else anybody has to say about it. Um, It's what pins her as like a recluse, but she's not really a recluse. She just doesn't make art all the time until she feels compelled to. And like, people don't really know what to do with that. (laughs) Right. So I don't know. I, I just really find her really inspiring for just blowing up so young and so quickly and so early. And then just, being able to just take control of that and do whatever she wanted as a result of that. Just so strong headed in a way that I really admire and love. And to be that popular and still not like tour really. Like she does like a series of shows, but they're more like stage shows. They're Yeah. And then she doesn't again for forty years or whatever. Yeah. It is. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so just like uh just one of the most interesting careers, one of the most like beloved people who truly just does everything on her own terms when she wants to um yeah and and, and her list of admirers is is fascinating yeah. as well she's yeah. she i i think in the uk she's well i know in the uk she's a huge deal pub, mm-hmm. uh, as a public figure and as a as an artist in the us she has really just become 
until Stranger Things, I guess, but really Stranger Things, which we'll talk about, but that's really just running up the hill. It's not like everybody's running out to buy all the other Kate Bush stuff. So like in the U.S., she still is really just one of those musical artists that other musical artists are obsessed with. And like Mm -hmm. the general public has had its moments with her, but she's really a British artist who she's the first woman to have a number one single that was pinned by herself in the UK. That was Wuthering Heights. Um, She has like, she just like broke records in the UK with her first albums and just over time. And like her biggest fan is Elton John. And like, she just has huge admirers who are, who like love her. But in the U S she's kind of like, Oh, isn't it like, what is this strange song that was on this like Netflix show? Like people don't really know who she is, but if you were to go to the UK and be like, who's Kate Bush, they would be like, what are you talking about? How do you not know who Kate Bush is? Yeah, it's just I, one of those weird lines. I feel yeah. like, like, like tricky or something. I feel like tricky is like that too. Like there's like a lot of artists that are just huge in the UK that in the U S are like, some people love them. Other people are like, I don't even know who you're talking about. Like so much. So like her being, you know, so, so popular and famous in the UK, like when um, I was working at Universal, I have a bunch of English guests and then we'd talk about cinema and I would ask them like, oh, do you guys like The Red Shoes by Pal and Pressburger? And they would say, I like The Red Shoes by Kate Bush. I like the album. Yeah. You know, so that, that was outside. that was right. always the response. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We're talking about kind of the different ways that you're exposed to Kate Bush. And it's interesting, maybe I'm the prototypical uh, um, American when it comes to this. Like, for me, like, I knew kind of peripherally who Kate Bush was, Um, you know, as a kid who was born in 1980. there There were, you know, some of her songs that were released as singles. And again, other than other than running up that hill, like not really a ton of like chart topping American singles. So it's the, you know, so that's the thing, like, and again, hounds of love, like four of the five songs on the, on side a of the album 
were released as singles. So like you're at least kind of somewhat familiar with them, but she's not anyone that I ever would have thought of is like, Oh yeah, she's, she's definitely the one. And then as I grow up and all these music outlets that I love do all these lists and you see all these people, all these critics, all these musicians who are going Kate Bush, Kate Bush, Kate Bush, you know, again, maybe it's just the thing I, I, maybe I was looking for her to have such a particular sound, like a, a unique and kind of identifiable sound, but to the point you were making earlier, Brad, like I, I think because she has done so many different things and has felt so much creative freedom to do all those things, it also makes it really hard to kind of define like, Oh, this is a Kate Bush song. What she sounds like. Yeah. My, my modern equivalent is Joanna Newsom, who is clearly so, so deeply inspired by Kate Bush. Um, and St. Vincent is another artist who has stated multiple times, like my favorite artist is Kate Bush. Those are just two modern artists who have the same kind of as in my mind, where every album has the sound that they sound like, but largely don't really sound like each other. And they're all kind of evolutions from each other or radical sidesteps. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I'm always entranced by those things. I'm, I'm always kind of in love with those kind of artists who, who get tired of themselves and are like, how can I stop? How, how can I keep my creativity alive by not repeating myself? Um, but you're right. I, I think that there are there are pairs of her albums that sound very similar to each other or or that play off each other at the very least. Um, mm. Like her recent stuff kind of sounds like itself, but her recent stuff doesn't sound like her earlier stuff, but you wouldn't want it to. It came out 30, 40 years later. Um, her voice is so different now. Like her singing voice is just totally different. She sounds so different, but her early stuff sounds all the same. It's that high pitched voice that she has and like a combination of like prog rock and like Renaissance fair instruments. Like it's, it's, it's very inspired by Pink Floyd stuff. It's very inspired by like what was popular at the time, as well as the weird, the weird ideas that she's bringing into it. I mean, she's, I, I, um, read this biography of her. I think I've told you guys this before, but I put together a pitch to, to do a 33 and a third on Hounds of Love, like 10 years ago at this point, a long time ago. And so I was reading a biography of her and doing so much research to kind of prep for that. And something that she just talks all the time about her career is how much of it is inspired by like her Irish upbringing. And she's, she's not from Ireland, but like so much of her family lineage is Irish and so much of the music that she brings in is like traditional Irish instruments and Irish music. And it's probably stuff that sounds more familiar to a British ear, honestly, than an American ear. That's like, it's not like, what's this crazy instrument, but more like what we're used to hearing isn't really coming from that kind of stuff. I feel like it sounds more equivalent to like early Pink Floyd or, um, or to like Peter Gabriel a lot of times too, who obviously she collaborated with and you can hear a lot of Peter, uh, Peter Gabriel and Hounds of Love, I think too. And like, that is kind of the zone where she's at, which is British artists, who are huge in England and may or may not have crossed over in the same way. I I think she's like a distinctly British artist mm-hmm. that connects with the British audience just in her sound in a way that American audiences don't always really know what to do with. Mm. Oh yeah. Well, she's very, she's very patriotic 
And, I mean, she she loves <laughs> her country. I mean, she's not. You know, I know, like but a, calling her patriotic is just funny. I just think of it as such like an American word. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, she's she's yeah, she's a patriot for sure. Go Pats, you know, Kate Bush. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, I mean, but she, I mean, she, she, she World Cup games is what you're saying, you know. Yeah, like, exactly. well, I mean, Michael, <laughs> you know, her her pal, Michael Powell, was the same way. You know, he he would say all the time how incredibly English he was and how much he loved England, but he was also obsessed with America so much that he's married an American woman, Thomas Goodmaker, but. Uh, I mean, Lionheart especially is a young woman who loves her country and loves the things that her country produces. Yeah, you know, so there, that that album in particular has a lot of stuff about. I mean, the song Lionheart is just a love letter to England, um, and she doesn't, you know, but she also has a lot of complicated feelings about it too. You know, she talks a lot about the indigenous people of Australia and the dreaming. You know, and so there's some colonialism that kind of peaks in there too so she has you know a lot of different yeah. feelings about it but i mean hounds of love is a very english album uh, not even like jig of life which is like so yeah irish but like um references to like tennyson on the back of the lp cover right there's a quote yeah. from tennyson you know so she's um very, i mean she was a lot about ireland and she was offered to perform at the olympics in england that's how big she is and she, she declined that's how big she is is that she declined that yeah <laughs> not, no, she's it's not she's not so big because she's by she's so big that she was able to turn it down right. and they still were like okay well we're gonna play running up that hill right. and have a bunch of people like carry blocks for like a long time yeah. for, like the length of a six minute song yeah so. um rob i'm i'm interested because we talked about it you generally had an idea of like oh i kind of on the periphery know who this person mm -hmm. is but when would you say it's the first time that you like heard kate bush is there any kind of a memory of it yeah I'm, well so here's what i'll say the the first time that i intentionally sought out a kate bush record to listen to um was probably 2020 okay when the most recent uh rolling stone list came out yeah. And in Hounds of Love was one of those albums that made a huge jump between. It wasn't on the list until 2020 at all. Yeah. And now a it's huge a huge jump from not being on there to like yeah. 68 or. Yeah. No. So, so if you assume, 60s. so let's assume it was like 501. You know, let's, let's say it was like the first album to not make it. Like that's still a 432 point jump. Like, yeah. Like, yeah. That is, that's huge. So, and, and that's pre Stranger Thing. It's like yeah, it's, well, a reclamation. It's, a, it's a reclamation that was long overdue um when i saw her on there i was thrilled because i was like yeah she people have been talking about this album forever obviously like it's weird that it took them until 2020 to include it on the list so so but here's what i wonder about that for for someone to kind of be so ignored for so long does does it feel like this is a long overdue kind of uh reckoning of like no no this is this is right and this is where it should be or i do wonder is it is it just one of those like we happen to be living through a kate bush moment and will that moment fade again oh i think it's the latter for okay. sure because i don't think well i guess it depends on how much cultural staying power you think stranger things has <laughs> and i don't particularly so i and i i think my 
evidence for this is just it's not like sales of Hounds of Love the album or other Kate Bush albums shot through or anybody was talking about any other Kate Bush track. It was really Hounds of Love or it was really uh, a deal with God going to number one and then that song getting hugely popular and covered by a bunch of people and being included in TikToks. But I don't think that modern pop culture has the attention span to create cultural staying power in the same kind of way mm-hmm. in the, in the way that that song was reclaimed, which was by Gen Z. Like that, that song was claimed by a very young audience who was using it in like TikToks and videos that they were making. And I'm not saying that nothing created now can have cultural staying power, but it's not like a, a classic movie was reclaimed by critics and it's going to be like put into the canon. This was just sort of a song that was picked up from mm-hmm. a movie about teen or a show about teenagers by other teenagers who were suddenly into it. I think the bloom is kind of already off the rose until mm-hmm. the new season of stranger things comes out. And then if it's in that show again, then it'll be popular again. But I just don't think that it, I think if we saw evidence of any, anything else in her catalog becoming popular again, then maybe, but I really think it's a, a, an artist that had no cultural staying power in the United States or a very tiny cultural footprint. And that's why she was left off of the Rolling Stone list, for example, is because she didn't hit in the States. And mm. people who know, know, but she just didn't hit in the States in the same way. And so they're going to put other albums that were more important. It, it's an American list. Um, so that that's what I think. I'm, I, don't, I don't think that it's like, and now she's going to be huge forever. I think the people who are into that song are probably already like have forgotten it again. Basically. But she wasn't, so. she wasn't looking to like capitalize and like there is, no. there is, there is a, um, there's almost like this killer instinct you have to have when it comes to like marketing, like where if you know, like, okay, there's this window, there's this moment. Yes. And it's not interested okay, in that. Yeah. Like I'm, I'm going to do a huge tour and re-release all the album. You know, like, it, there's there was a moment but there was there was nothing on her part to really i think grab hold of that moment and yeah, and yeah. so it, kind of to your point like I, I think kate bush has the life she wants like i, I don't think I she totally agree more than that absolutely agree i think <laughs> she i don't think she's undersung at all i think she's I think she's created the art that she wants to create and she has no regrets about that. And she continues to create, she wants to create when she wants to make it and mm-hmm. only does what she does, only does what she wants to do. And like that, that's so admirable to me like that. She is the sign of like a true artist, you know, in ways that I just admire so much and just enjoy what she makes so much her her albums also just to get back to like the music itself her her albums a lot of times feel like puzzle pieces to me Mm. where it's it's what i love so much about hounds of love is that it's half in my opinion it's half a perfect pop record and half a puzzle box and i love that and there are albums that are entirely puzzling and strange and i want to pick them apart and figure out what's going on and those are exciting and then there are albums that are entirely perfect pop albums, and those are exciting as well. And Hounds of Love is is both. And those pieces don't intertwine. It's meant to be played on vinyl. Like, it, that's how it was released. It's meant to have a side A, you, you stand up, you flip it over, and you have a whole different album on the other side. And, like, that, that is so exciting to me. I, she, she wrote what? She wrote 
like cloud busting and and dream of sheep on the same day or something like she basically wrote and dream of sheep which is the first track on side b and one of the songs on side a at the same time and she was like oh that's my new album is i have this story song that i want to tell which will be side b and then i wrote this pop song that i think is great and i'll and i'll follow that as well um so it, it's why I like the album so much is because there's two different albums in it, both of which are really exciting to me in ways that every time I listen to it, I find something else that I admire about it. Um, so I like that it's a pop album and I like that it's a freaky art album at the same time. That, <laughs> like I've read so much about the ninth wave and still it's kind of a mystery to me. And I, I find that really, really intriguing. But I don't find it hard to listen to either, The Ninth Wave. I think Waking the Witch is the hardest track on the album to listen to because of all the like vocal effects and it's kind of scary and spooky. But mm-hmm. like like I used to skip Waking I like I used to like skip that song sometimes. I'd be like, eh, like it's too much for me right now. But like the other songs on side B are still pop songs or they're like ballads. They're like be- like beautiful melodies and like I I think that they still work as songs. It's not that freaky in a way but it definitely is co- coherent in a way that is exciting. It's a concept album, a little short treat of a concept album. And then you still have side a, that's like a perfect pop album as well. <laughs> it's like, it's, it's like, I don't know. It's the best of both worlds in my mind, which I just love. I So let me ask you this question and, and, you know, we didn't, this is not one of the questions we sent out, but I'm, I'm just curious. Mm. And I think that you both will probably have, um, some, some fascinating things to say about this. (laughs) You know, the nature of the podcast is trying to put together a list of all time, great albums, 
you know, using utilizing kind of our rule, which is you can only have one album per artist. Mm-hmm. So to the listener who let's say they're an American listener and they don't get Kate Bush, you know, no matter how no matter how big or successful or well beloved she is in England, like to an American listener who's going, why Kate Bush? And if you're going to do Kate Bush, why this album? Mm-hmm. Um, so, so I guess my, my question for both of you is what would your defense be of this album showing up in the top 100 of an all time great list? Like what, what, what's your defense of this being a top 70 album on the most recent iteration of the Rolling Stone list or being, you know, uh, I think Pitchfork's number four album of the eighties or, you know, a top hundred album in the NME list. Like what is, what's your kind of defense for a, a kind of casual American listener of this album? There's lots of things. One is that it was hugely influential to artists that are working today. It, 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 the, the way it influenced modern indie rock and, and modern, uh, like indie pop music is like, cannot really be overstated. And there are so many artists who are working in the early two thousands up until today, especially who sort of like grew up on that album specifically and have claimed it as like this album taught me a lot about how to make music and how to incorporate electronic like rhythms and melodies into music in the same way that like remain in light did for example and so it's just one of those albums from the 80s that artists now grew up on and it like completely influenced and shaped what music is now in in ways that we don't always know but the artists who make that music are like yeah this album what like it's it's was huge for me and then the other thing is just that it just goes back to the songs it's just good songs and like the the she's just a great songwriter and so what you have is you have a collection of songs that are her at the peak of her songwriting powers writing a collection of songs that are fantastic through and through and do everything that she was doing up to that point in terms of like their melodies and their lyrics and the way that she's like tripling her vocals in the background. And she's taking all of the tricks that she's sort of like stockpiled in her previous four albums. Um, But that everything locks into place. It's a magical album, I think, where everything that she has done so well up until then locks into place and everything that I think didn't really work on her previous albums, she got rid of. And she has a good, idea of like okay the things i was doing on the dreaming that were too experimental i can tell that that was too experimental and i can tell that it was a little bit too crazy so let me scale that back because it's like cacophonous and then the things that i think i was playing around with on the dreaming her her previous album that were experimental in a way that accentuated my lyrics and my melodies and my storytelling capabilities that she's very well known for as well i want to accentuate those instead and like this is just it's the album in the middle of her career at this point where everything before it sounds pretty different, but feeds into the strengths of hounds of love and everything after it is, is, is kind of dictated by what she does on this album with, with the fair light, especially this, mm-hmm. the, the fair light synthesizer that not the first person to use it, but it, it drives this entire album. And then it drives 
the like sensual world and it drives red shoes and she brings it back up in her later. Like it's just kind of, it, it becomes like her, her instrument for her career afterwards. And it's used to such a magical, crazy effect on this album. But I think it's the song. If the songs weren't good, the album wouldn't last. If the songs weren't good, people wouldn't care about it. And people clearly care about it. And so I just think it, it just comes down to like, you write good songs that connect with people. And then the second half of the album is good songs, but more so than that, it's just fascinating. It's a fascinating piece of art that is attempting to tell a story that's not based on any IP or anything. It's just a story that she came up with that to me emotionally connects to me every single time I hear it's about a woman who's drowning in the ocean and trying to stay awake so she doesn't die. And like, that's what the story is. And it's a simple, straightforward kind of a story. And the songs are all deeply emotional because it's a woman trying not to die. <laughs> and so I, I just think it's powerful in a number of ways. Um, but in terms of Hounds of Love being the the album out of all of her albums that you would pick, I think it's just because it's it's the linchpin in her whole career. Everything before it isn't as good and everything after it is a direct result of hounds of love she builds her own studio in order to record hounds of love and then every other album after that is recorded at that studio um so i don't know i i think she knows it's her masterpiece she knew at the time it was her masterpiece like it, it's one of those things where it, it like when you listen to her entire scope of albums every other album i feel like has parts of it that don't feel as earned and everything on this album feels just like she was locked in knew exactly what she wanted to do and her songwriting was never stronger um which that's hard to convince people of because it's like if you don't like the songs and you don't think the songwriting's good but i think most people like the songs and so like it, it connects to enough people that i think it i think it matters no i have a similar response i mean the, the defense is the artifact itself
<laughs> I just I, I just that. love the idea of taking side ones like here here five whatever like perfect pop songs and then side two where it's ugly and scary how many pop songs have any moments on them that are actually scary and waking the witch i mean that's it's basically suspiria in like a four minute song i mean it's actually scary yeah probably more scary than suspiria until like the last 15 minutes um the original um the the argento one but um i mean and i think she clearly loves cinema too we definitely know that by the time she does the red shoes which is a clear reference but you know she's she's fascinated by all kinds of things and i think side two is her putting them all together you know um different types of art literature theater opera there's some cinema but it, the music is first and foremost and it's all it's all brilliant and uh it shouldn't work together and some people think that it doesn't but i you know it you know it it's uh when you re-listen to it you're you're awarded for it because it yeah i think it all clicks together pretty quickly the more time you spend because there's no way when you listen to like a 12 track pop album you know or you can anticipate getting 12 pop tracks maybe a couple slow ones and the rest are bangers there's no there's no way listening to it the first time that you could anticipate right by the time you get the side two like what's going to happen next and i think that's kind of a, a barrier or a yeah. challenge for some people is like it, it defies expectations of what you think a pop album especially if you just heard like five like electro pop songs and then you get just absolutely you get helicopter sounds and you get um a train leaving the station train leaving the station the uh you know the first movie um yeah. i you know i think that like um every song on this album is interesting every single song on this album mm-hmm. is interesting i think even if you're like i don't like these songs i think it's i think you'd be wrong to say that any of these songs is uninteresting and that's so hard to do. That's so hard to pull off. I think it's experimental without being alienating. Um, one of my other favorite albums is Trout Mask Replica, which is completely alienating and is totally experimental and, and hard to listen to. This album manages to be experimental end to end, I'd say, but especially side B, obviously. But it's never alienating to the audience. And like... That's really hard to do. It, it reminds me a little bit of like Sign of the Times of the of the Prince album too. Mm. That is another album that is totally experimental, but never wants to alienate its audience. And I love stuff like that. I love things that are that you could throw on and find a lot to dig into and find endlessly fascinating. And you could also throw on and just have in the background. I think that's harder to do than people realize. Um, it's it's hard to write a pop song that's that's actually interesting that's like genuinely interesting and not just catchy. Yeah. And I I love that. I think that's why it's connected and I think that's why it's inspired so many people writing songs afterwards is because like how do you capture that magic of having having a pop song that connects with an audience and is catchy and danceable but is also layered to the point of like you can peel back those layers every time you listen to it and there's so much weird stuff there's experimentation going on in every single song
So let's let's talk a little bit more about that. Let's let's maybe start by talking about this really kind of fun pop album that is side A, that is Hounds of Love. Again, four of the five tracks on side A are released as singles, Running Up That Hill, Hounds of Love. And I agree with both of you that Hounds of Love is actually the strongest song on side I, A. I don't think that, for the record. That was me. Mackay okay. thinks that. I'll tell I, you about my favorite song later, but well, well, I I, so what I'll say is I, I think Hounds of Love is the strongest song. I think it's the best written song on side A. As good as as good as Running Up That Hill is, I think Running Up That Hill is a perfect opener for the album. Um, but I but I think Hounds of Love is is the better written song. Um, and then so you get that kind of one two punch, and then Big Sky, which is a really big pop number. Um, Mother stands for comfort, which is maybe the only kind of dud on side A, but it's still a fun. It's a fun I song, love it, but it's not as. Yeah, I like. I like that song quite a bit. But but yeah, it's not like an upbeat pop song. The rest of them, yeah, yeah. it's like the ballad on the side, or yeah. Yeah, yeah. And then and then cloud busting again. You get you get you know the the longest pop song on on the the front side of the album. Yeah. With with cloud busting, I mean, you really get such a strong side A. And that if, again, taking this idea of looking at those five songs as their own kind of EP, then that, that, that makes it a really phenomenal EP instead of a very disjointed pop side of, of an album. Yeah. I, so my favorite song on this album is my favorite Kate Bush song, which is cloud busting. It's. I was gonna say it's kind of a boring choice because I think most people who love Kate Bush cite Cloud Busting as her best song. So I'm really interested to hear that you both really love Hounds of Love. I also love Hounds of Love. I, it's maybe my second favorite on this album. Um, but Cloud Busting is the song that unlocked this album for me in a lot of ways where I was really enjoying the album and it wasn't really until Cloud Busting and when the strings come in, like the the strings or the Fairlight strings or whatever they are that, that drive Cloud Busting, like broke my brain as like a teenager when I first heard it. And like, that was the song that really uh, like unlocked everything for me where mm-hmm. I just thought it was unbelievably well-produced and just like a gorgeous headphones track a, eh? but just in general, just like so beautifully sung. And I really love that song. And it, it intentionally ends with the train leaving the station as a way to say, like, say goodbye to this album. Like this album is done now and flip over your record and hear side B. Um, so I, I think what is the one good thing is that that train sound effect is there because even on streaming, you still get the train leaving a station to be like, okay, like wave goodbye um, before it just moves right into a dream of sheep. But it's jarring on streaming. And that, that's usually how I listen to it is on, is on title. Um, but like, of course, it's kind of jarring. I'm not jarred by it because I'm so used to it. But it is very much intended to be two, two things. Um, yeah, I mean, there's not much interesting to say about side A other than it's just fantastic. <laughs> I'll just stand up for Mother Stands for Comfort, which I just think is another really interesting song. It's it's uses the drum machine like a weapon almost. Like the drums are so intense and like loud in that song. Um especially when it starts. And then there's like sound effects and sampling that are just really interesting. And just the fact that it's a song from the point of view of a serial killer 
talking about how his mom won't turn him in because she loves him so much. And like that, that's what the song is about. And you're like, why did she write this? Like, it doesn't come from anything personal. She's not interested in doing anything other than telling a story. She's just interested in character and story. That's why she loves performance and mime and dance too. Like she just wants to tell stories. And so I, I love that that track is in there because it's, a, a fascinating weird story that she's telling that all of her albums have at least one or two songs that are like that that are out yeah. of step uh uh musically because she's like taking a break to just tell a weird story with a complicated narrator um even listening yeah, i mean it's a great it's a great out it's a great it's shakespearean song. it's hitchcockian it's sure also has that like glass breaking sound from the fairlight it's like in every 80s album like even in please to meet me by the replacements, um, shooting dirty pool like that. It's the same glass breaking sound that every, Peter Gabriel, I think, uses it. Of course, like, yeah. Everyone she was like it. a sledgehammer. Yeah, she was like the second person to use it though. So yeah, yeah. it wasn't everywhere yet. <laughs> but the like the bass line's really wild. That the bass line is incredible in that song. Wild. It's so good. really really weird. Yeah, yeah. It is. It, it is interesting. Like listening to you both talk about her and and again like some of this stuff if you really sat again if you're sitting with the album if you've got liner notes if you're reading through these lyrics like and and i think brad especially for you being exposed to her in high school is such a gift because there's something about that high school experience where you listen to music with the liner notes open and it's exactly what i was doing too and, and and so like you're and I was an open book. Yeah, you're you're internalizing yeah. all of it. I, I do think that reading about what each of her songs is about makes, at least for me, made me much more invested in her as an artist because I was just more emotionally invested in the story of the song. So I recommend doing that because I think it's really fun. But also I know that being given homework for a musical artist is like not what a lot of people want. They just want to hear music. So that's... My but, recommendation. But I do that I also think for think our listeners, <laughs> I, I do think for our listeners, that's that's a fair thing to say. So if you're if you're like me, and um, you know you you may you may enjoy the music, especially on side A of this album, but you're struggling with the side B. Uh, again, I understand it's not necessarily fun to go and do a bunch of reading about the album, um, but but to the point that Brad's making. I, I I think that if you're willing to do the work, I think it will unlock this album for you in a way that the album will become far more enjoyable. And, and more emotional, I think. Mm. That was my unlocking is now there are parts on side, maybe not anymore, but when I would got really into it for the first time, there are songs on side B that would like make me cry. Like they, they are very emotional songs. It's a woman trying not to drown. Like there there's the moment early on in the ninth wave where she is starting to fall asleep and drown and she just hears all the people in her life that telling her to wake up mm-hmm. and and it's all the different ways that all the people throughout her life have told her to wake up and and the people who recorded that is like Kate Bush's actual like her mom and her dad and her brother and like her boyfriend at the time and it is like people in her actual life who recorded it and it's like when you read about that it it becomes this incredibly scary emotional moment that can make you get like chills. Whereas mm-hmm. if you don't know that that's what's happening, you're just like, why is everybody saying hello and good morning and and wake up? Cause you don't mm-hmm. really connect that 
the woman who's hearing this is drowning in the ocean trying to survive. And so like that was just one example of something where I was like, oh my God. And then like Hello Earth is all about like in the moment when you're about to die and you're like basically flying up to heaven and looking down at earth and nothing matters because you're dying. And then it's like when morning fog happens, did she get rescued or not? Or did she just die and she's in heaven and everything's great now? Mm -hmm. And like, there's a mystery at the end of it that, you know, she has said, well, I think she survives, but it's one of those things that every good story does where you are emotionally connected to it and swept up and you're not sure how it ends. And there's almost more enjoyment in not knowing how it ends. So there's just so much of that in, um, inside B and like in the middle of it, there's a witch trial and you're like, this woman is being put on trial for being a witch because she's drowning. And like, so like, there's so, there's so many moments like that, that once I read about what was happening in each track in terms of the story itself, I became very emotionally invested in the story. And so like, I just became this very emotional piece of music for me that I just really love. And the first, the first half of the album is a really fun album. And the second half of the album is very, it is very emotional. things whenever we talk about one of these albums is we ask each other what are your five favorite songs on the album and you. so uh I, i'll start and then micaiah will go to you and then brad will we'll end with you for me favorite songs on the album uh shock of all shocks um more than half of them will be on the side a uh, so in in order of how they appear on the album running up that hill hounds of love cloud busting from from side a 
And from side B, I really like Waking... Again, Waking the Witches is is a hard song to get through sometimes. Um, but I... I like... Um, I like the way that it works. I like the, I like yeah, the yeah. theatrics of uh, of Waking the Witch. And then I really like uh, Jig of Life. Yeah, great. And, and, and I like Jig of Life, again, as, as someone who... Um, you know, who, who has, you know, Scotch Irish family from, from Appalachia, who, who kind of brings that Irish and Scottish folk tradition forward. And, and again, so much of what we think of when we think about bluegrass instrumentation is, is very similar to that kind of uh, Celtic Irish music that we're hearing in Jig of Life. And so I, I, I just appreciate the, the music of that song. This will be similar running up the hill. Um, I don't, I, I'm also just tickled with like the instruments sounding like hound dogs, yeah. like kind of crying. We've like barely even talked about that song, honestly. We I don't, like haven't yeah. really even talked about that song, but it's a good song. What is there to say about it? I don't know. <laughs> it's a perfect song. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, who, who could have predicted when we first talked to you, Brad, that, in order to talk about running up that hill, we would have to talk about Stranger Things for like ten minutes. I really don't want <laughs> before we could actually talk about I this record. I, I really get annoyed at people for gatekeeping things, so I've been really trying to be really good and not keep and not gatekeep Kate mm-hmm. Bush. And I think I've been pretty good about it, honestly. I'm doing <laughs> but like, uh, she has felt immensely personal and private to me for so long Mm -hmm. my wife also really loves kate bush so she and i kind of like have that together as well um but it has felt like an artist that nobody else really even knows who i'm talking about when i gush about kate bush until Mm -hmm. recently and like all of a sudden for her to be so famous i'm very happy for her i'm not gatekeeping it it also i just try to ignore it a little bit probably because i don't watch stranger things i'm like whatever i'm annoyed by it. i'm annoyed by it but trying to be polite about it yeah. so it seems like it is really emotional in the show my wife watched it and she was like yeah it's great so i'm sure it's great um good on them i'm really happy for her mm-hmm. great it's just a great song you can't blame them i don't know that song is like a perfect piece of music so I mean, it's like the number one song of the summer i mean it's a pretty yeah and it's not I mean, if the song wasn't any good, it wouldn't have done that, you know? So it's like not entirely the show. Like the show used to clash in the first season. It's not like, should I stay or should I go? became the number one song in the world that summer. Because uh, A Deal With God is is unusual. It's a really unusual Mm -hmm. song. It doesn't sound like anything else. And so it's no, and yet it's still a catchy pop song. So like, I'm no surprise that it, that it latched on. Um, I just wish that people like Kim Petras like wouldn't do terrible covers of it. Like people are now doing bad covers of it. Then I'm like, it, there used to that be was one the strangest cover. Thing. There used to be one cover by placebo that wasn't very yeah. good. And I was fine with that. But now there's like all these people doing covers of it. And I'm like, none of these are good. Just give me the original song. You don't need anything else. It's all, all of a sudden, like Halsey's at a music festival and she's been like, this is my favorite song of all time. And you're like, <laughs> which could be really? true. I don't know. Like that's, but, oh man, like things of, yeah. Uh, yeah, it was a neat summer. Good song. To your it's point. a good song. Good song. Um, number two, Hounds of Love, which for me is just it's just perfect. Um, it is. I love her voice. 
I love the I love the horror movie intro. It's in the trees. It's coming. Come 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 come. The drums are amazing on that song. The drums are incredible. Her performance is unbelievable too. Yeah, I mean, there's a there's a I, I think it's Top of the Pops. Or it, it could be another show, but there weren't that many other than Top of the Pops out there. But there's a performance that you can find on YouTube, and it's just so charming. And it's 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 just everything I love about. Kate is in that like yeah. live performance. They, you know, lip sync all that stuff on British television, but well, it's well, her, she didn't sing on TV. They, they, when she did this in the dreaming and maybe her next album, she would do TV performances like top of the pops mm-hmm. in order to do them. But it was always piped in and not everybody did that. Like she was more interested in the performance and the choreography and the costuming. Like she was interested yeah. in like putting on a show but she was like, I don't, in order to put on a show and do what I need to, like this dance routine or whatever it is, mm-hmm. I can't also sing live at the same time and have it be good. So just pipe in my music. I'll pretend like I'm singing or I won't. And mm-hmm. that'll be the performance. Um, she just, she just, so interesting. Because she's a trained mime, I mean, literally a yeah. trained mime, she does so much with her face. Yeah. It's uh, with, with the, the shape of her mouth when she sings, which I think turns a lot of people off. I think it's, so charming and so great the way she uses her eyes and bulge like the babushka video for example the babushka Um, video is unreal it's she's 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 just she's just an incredible performer um the running up the hill video going back to that incredible incredible like my my wife's a dancer and we were watching up the hill though she's like wait a minute is she a she's a dancer too i'm like she pretty much i mean she literally is a renaissance woman in every way that that phrase can be used you know uh shout out again to to dante um okay so run up the hill hounds of love i mean found a little fox caught by dogs you know found you know his heart you know shaking his my hands and whatever it's just like it, it, it's so moving to me um cloud busting of course i have this like uh my wife thought i was insane when the only new movie that came out was um Palm Springs, the Andy Samberg mm-hmm. comic oh, yeah. finale. Cloud Busting in, is in I that know. movie. I forgot about that. Um, that was another moment where like, I was like, no, you can't use this. You're not allowed to use this. They already this used Leonard song. Cohen earlier, too. <laughs> so, they, so they quite, so it, it's just like, Hing. it's effective. like that one thing. I went, Kate, yeah. like, like so instantly that it freaked my wife out. She's like, you are a psycho. Like, no it's one. Like <laughs> just like it's those strings like you know those strings yeah. um all right so that's three and then um because it's so hard to separate everything from side two i have hello earth and morning fog together um as the great finale and i guess encore of all that is you know the ninth wave um also just they're i've said it already before they're incredibly moving and, and beautiful i mean her, her performance on on hello earth my god there's like gregorian chants in there i mean there's there's a lot happening like on retainer from like herzog she like got in touch with like Werner herzog to be like hey you use this gregorian chant one of your movies can i use that same choral group to have that same chant and he was like he was like, yeah, it's just like nonsense words. It's not real words. And she was like, I don't care if they can come in and just like <laughs> record wh- what they recorded for your movie. I love that. She, she like called Werner Herzog in the eighties and was like, can I use them? <laughs> and it's great. She loves it, movies. Works. it works great. <laughs> I know. 
Yeah, she's the best. All right. So, Brad, what are your oh five? My favorite Kate Bush song is Cloud Busting. Um, mm. I love it. We talked about it. I think my second on this album is either Watching You Without Me or Hounds of Love. Those are both up there for me. Um, and then probably Running Up That Hill and then, you know... Honestly, probably Big Sky. I think probably the only the only individual song from the Ninth Wave that I'd be like, this is one of my favorite songs is Watching You Without Me. I think mm-hmm. the other four are the four tracks on side A um, that are like the singles from the album. I think the other one that could slip in there is In Dream of Sheep because I find that to just be a really haunting song, but it's mostly haunting in the context of everything else around it, so... Mm-hmm. I also, there are a couple of like little Kate things that happen in the songs that you mentioned that I love. One, Cloud Busting Daddy. You, yeah. You best. gotta love that. It's just, it's just so cute. And also like Single Me Sisters. On <laughs> yeah. And then she Single layers Sisters. herself like five times. Yeah. It's so good. The, the, I love the, the crescendo that the big sky builds to is meh one of my favorite moments in the entire album maybe mm-hmm. my favorite like individual like moment on the album because it it's when she says what you're saying and she invites other people in what's really just her and it it builds to what could be an out of control cacophony that works wonders like it's it it's almost like phil spectory like it's just huge wall mm-hmm. of sound that comes in at the end of that track before it the slow fade that's like a 90 second fade out in that song that I um, I just love it, it reaches such a peak for me there hello old lady I know your face well I know it well she says sitting in your mirror and now is the place where the crossroads meet when you look into the future never never say goodbye We've agreed because we've had Brad do his top five albums three times already. So <laughs> we've agreed. So instead of that, we're going to do his top 10 Kate Bush songs, uh, which is less intimidating than my like 50 track playlist that I've sent you. Bill. This is all you need. 50 songs, four hours. <laughs> like I, This will convert you for sure. 
my list changes here and there, but my favorite Kate Bush songs tend to be the ones that I've, that are deeply, that feel at least deeply personal and emotional. Um, I, I, I think to answer the question I asked you, Micaiah, I think my favorite Kate Bush albums are Hounds of Love and The Sensual World and Ariel. Mm-hmm. Um, and then probably Red Shoes. Red Shoes has just really grown on me. I think half that album and not A and B, just in general, like half of the songs I think are just gorgeous. And then the other right. half I just can't really like connect with. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very 1993. It's like very 90s, that album. Um, okay. My favorite Kate Bush song is Cloud Busting. We know this. My second favorite Kate Bush song is Moments of Pleasure, which is off of the Red Shoes. Oh, Nice makes me cry every single time this is a song about how in this year and year or two while she was making that album a lot of people in her life died and so it's just a song for all the people who died and at the end of the song she names them one by one and sings to them it's Mm -hmm. devastating but it's also just a gorgeous song like the the strings on that song are she She name checks Michael Powell because he yeah, died in 1990, does. and it does. it gets me every yeah, single time. Great song. Um, do you do you like the director's cut version? I do really like the director. I like the original more, but I also really really like the director's cut. I version. do too. I think it's, it's one of the so better parts different. of director's cut. I do too. It's probably my favorite song of director's cut. Um, my third is a coral room, like the sea creature coral, which is off of Ariel. That's the mm-hmm. last song on the first record of Ariel deeply emotional piano ballad um and then this woman's work we know it we love it Mm -hmm. great song and then weathering heights a masterpiece my wife and i love that song listen to it all the time um my favorite thing about weathering heights just to call it out because it's a probably still her biggest hit even after running up that hill is just that it ends with two minutes of just like a guitar solo and her insane like nonsense like it's like mm-hmm. it's like a three minute song with like two extra minutes of like of like a guitar solo and like screaming it's great i just love that it went number one um after that is hounds of love the song after that is rubber band girl which is the first track off of the red shoes nice love that song that's just a great pop song that you would just love rob okay. and then birdie the song birdie Oh, great. Which is off of Ariel, the song to her son that makes me cry every time. Um, That's just a song that she wrote for her song, and I love it. And then Watching You Without Me, and then Love and Anger, which is from The Central World, which I think is like the second track of The Central World. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think if people really know Kate Bush and they hear that list, it's the, the older I've gotten the more I've really connected with the Kate Bush songs that are like piano ballads that, that are like emotional, slower songs. Mm-hmm. And the ones that I've connected with a little bit less are just like her pop songs, which I really like a lot. But I think I've just found myself more drawn to her using her voice as like a weapon a lot of times, which she just does so well for her for her ballads, which I just love.
appreciate you both i've got some homework to do and uh and i'm i'm driving to a driving to a conference in atlanta next month so uh oh fun. Uh, I, i'm gonna i'm gonna have a long long car ride by myself so i'm gonna i'm gonna get the uh playlist of uh, of of these of these songs going and uh I'll, I'll report back hopefully that i i am a much bigger uh, Kate Bush fan on the other side, but Brad, we want to thank you for being with us uh, for Brad. our listeners. Of course, um, we have film fests, film fest pod. Tell our listeners about film fest pod. Where can they find it? And when do the episodes come out? Sure. Uh, okay. So I have a podcast that's called film fest. We've done one season we're going to start recording the next season soon. Basically, it's a podcast where every season has a different theme as if it's a film fest. Our first season is available now where you listen to podcasts like Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Um, our first season was all about mo- there, uh, was movies all about bad kids. And we had a lot of fun. We have eight different movies that we talk about in that season, um, including things like Mean Girls and Clifford and... The 400 Blows is in there and Lilo and Stitch kind of runs the gamut. Uh, But basically a guest brings a movie that fits the theme that they want to talk about. And then we chat about it. Me and my friend Mia do do it together. Uh, And then the next season is Power Couples, which is movies that are made by famous couples. Um, Yeah, we're going to start recording that pretty soon. So, you know, probably looking at like two seasons a year. We kind of go at our own pace. Uh, But yeah, we've been having a lot of fun with it check it out listeners check it out of course uh brad is as entertaining talking about movies as he is talking about music and uh, obviously uh, don't forget about wigwag and your opportunity to read anything that he has written he is an incredible writer brad thanks for being with us again and uh being one of the i think only the third person to join our four timers club um thank you for having me can i ask one parting question of you rob oh absolutely if you had like 10 seconds to think about it or less what do you think is your favorite album of the 80s which is when this album came out it's very 80s that isn't joshua tree no it isn't why not it can be joshua tree is that your favorite album of the 80s joshua tree is my favorite album of all time oh okay Um, so it's probably that then um yeah but but just uh, i because all of our listeners will know that i think my favorite non-joshua tree album of the 80s is probably purple rain Okay. No, that's a good answer. Great album. <laughs> what can I say? I mean, my favorite album of the 80s is also my favorite album of all time. So I, I hear that. <laughs> yeah. Thank you guys for having me. 
Hey, appreciate it. Rob, I I want to tell you that I appreciate that you put the time in because you knew how much I love this record and you really put the time in to try to figure out why it's so appealing uh, to to me and others like me who, who love the record. But did this conversation, you know, do more for you than just kind of repeat listens to the album in terms of your appreciation or how, how are you coming out of this conversation? Are you, are you more interested in the album? Yeah. I'm, I'm more excited to listen to the album now in, and I please, please don't be offended or hurt by this. There are some times because of our relationship and because of how much I trust your musical taste and, and I and I imagine the same is probably true for you. There are some times where you or I will communicate to one another, hey, here's an album that I'm really loving. You've got to listen to it. And I, I think sometimes that you want to be diligent to listen to the album because you're like, oh, man, this is my friend and he's got good taste. Um but sometimes when you're listening to an album, not because you've discovered it, but because someone else has said how great it is, sometimes it can set you up for uh, some disappointment because mm-hmm. when you're, you're coming in with this expectation that it's going to be, that it's going to be really great. And so when it's at all challenging, when it's at all difficult, when, when it's at all inaccessible, um, it can feel like such a barrier and so the the thing that Brad talked about today that I'm so grateful for is is something I'm sure if you and I had talked more about it, you would have unpacked this as well. But him kind of just talking about 
the stories and how the two sides work together and you know understanding the second half of this album is a suite and and how that works together and kind of the theatrical storytelling nature of that that makes it you know i'm so excited now to go back again Mm. and listen to this album that i've been listening to a lot over the last few months but to go back and you know, open up a browser and pull up the lyrics and, you know, fo- really follow along with the story. And in, in, for lack of a better way of saying it, to do the homework to really sure. appreciate this album. In, in, in the fairness, in fairness, what is true for not just music, but in every art form. I think if you're willing to do the homework, if you're willing to invest the time and energy to understand and contextualize the piece of art um, in in the way that the artist had intended, I, I think that is almost always rewarding. And in in so in some ways, I, I'm I feel a little challenged. I, I feel like what I need to do instead of just pulling up and streaming an album because someone recommends it to me. I, I need to be a little more diligent in taking the time and going, Hey, if, if this is really good and I resp- and this is a friend of mine, or this is a person who means something to me and I respect their taste in music. If mm-hmm. they're saying it's good, then let me honor that by taking the time and doing the work and in choosing to digest this piece of art in a way that that honors the work of the artist. And so I, I felt really challenged by the conversation today with Brad to do that, not just with Kate Bush, which I'm excited for, but mm-hmm. even maybe for some other artists that I've struggled to get into that, that other people have, have talked to me about how much they love them. Maybe I need to really spend the time and do the homework on the front end so that mm-hmm. I can really, um, kind of receive that music and that art in the way that it was intended. I agree. I mean, cause like for me, even like with something like big star, like I got into them also right when that documentary came out. Like, mm-hmm. so by the time that documentary hit Netflix and I'd already like, you know, just listened to like number one record, you know, spent the week with it. And then that drops on Netflix. I'm like, Oh, so then you watch the documentary, you understand the stories, you understand, it just kind of contextualizes everything to where you're like, oh, now I go back and I listen to it again. I'm like, you know, just it just unlocks something. There are no documentaries about Kate Bush, unfortunately. There's like a BBC, like Channel One or whatever, like hour long documentary where it's like Elton John and St. Vincent talking about how much they like her. But that's it. Um, so maybe one day when there's like a proper, like Peter Bogdanovich style four hour documentary about her maybe it'll unlock her fully for for more people um i mean i'm excited to go back and listen to the record after we've just talked about it i've been listening to it um for the last few days you know numerous times so and even i'm excited to go back and listen after this conversation i, I enjoyed uh, enjoyed it very much but the question remains rob is hounds of love worthy of being a top 100 album on our list. So I, I'm going to say, I, I'm going to say yes. Okay. So, so I, I think, I think I heard question. what I heard what I wanted to hear. And yet I'm yeah. Not, so, not thrilled. 
Oh, oh no, see, see. So I, I, yes is my yes is my immediate answer. Mm-hmm. I am I am more excited to go back and listen to it after this conversation. Uh-huh. And I feel like by the end of this season, I'll be able to say that with a lot more confidence. Well, then when we come back next week, we'll do a little check-in mm-hmm. to see. We'll do a little follow-up. Yeah, I think I think that's fair. I, I think that's a good way of approaching it. But but no, I, I mean, look, I, I think the influence of this album, I think what it has meant to people, um, you know, I, I think the um, the influence it has had on artists who have shaped so much of what music sounds like today, um, I, I think that's undeniable. Um, so, so I mean, in in terms of the kind of traditional like great album arguments, I, I think this checks off all those boxes. Um, the the only thing for me is that beyond the side A in like the the really kind of accessible pop friendly hits that are on side A. Um, I have struggled with the rest of the album, but after our conversation, I am really excited to explore the ninth wave in, in a new way. And mm-hmm. and I think that unlocking the side B of this album will make me that much more certain of its rightful place in our list. Good deal. Well, Micaiah, it's one of your favorite albums. It's an album that you have been talking about for quite some time, and we have finally covered it on the pod. Is there anything that you want to say to our listeners about this album that we did not get a chance to talk about with Brad? I would say go to your local record store and pick up a copy of the LP. That is the best way to experience the records, the way it was intended, even the cassette, right? You'd have to turn over to get the side two over, you know, so... Get the LP. Go to your go to your local record store. Pick it up. They they it's been newly remastered in 2018, and um, they were in a rush to get them back in stock in record stores because they were flying off the shelves after Stranger Things. Um, so go get them. That's the last thing I have to say. I love it. Well, listener, it's our first album of season three, and. We're so glad that you're with us. If this is your first episode or maybe your first episode you've listened to in a while, I want to encourage you to do a few things on whatever platform you are listening to this podcast on. Micaiah, what are those things? Wherever you're listening to your podcast, uh, if you like what you heard, um, please uh, give us a five-star rating and even better, review it. Let us know what it is that you liked about it. And if you want to get more episodes as they come out, then you could like, follow, subscribe, whichever the verbiage is that your podcast provider uses. Uh, That'd be the easiest way to get new episodes. Absolutely. Well, listener, we're so glad that you're back with us for season three. We're going to leave you now with Micaiah's favorite song from Hounds of Love, the title track, Hounds of Love. It's coming.